welcome to The Pestle, reviewing and breaking down movies to look for insights into the movie-making process. Hosted by Face Tattoos, because nothing says you're friendly like letting strangers draw on your map. Let's dim the lights and start the show. Welcome, everybody. Oh, my God. It's already off to a terrible start. <laughs> Welcome, everybody, to The Pestle. Today's show is brought to you by Bob's Garage. Fixing cars since 1943. Get your car fixed or sold at Bob's Garage and enjoy a complimentary <laughs> bagel. <laughs> we are all over the place. I know exactly where that's from. <laughs> Thank you. Nice. <laughs> Welcome to the Pestle. I am Wes. And I'm Todd. And we like to talk about films and break down TV shows on occasion. Uh, as filmmakers, uh, I'm an actor, I'm a writer, I'm a director, um, and just a all-around one-man band at times. And sometimes I do a whole heck of a lot. I reluctantly wear a producer hat at times. You proudly wear it every day because Todd uh, is a full-time producer, actor, writer. Um, you've directed, you've run casting sessions and all kinds of things. Um, so we come at the film analysis from that perspective of how can we learn and get better at what we do and also kind of translate some of these things that happen in the film that maybe people don't see uh, or, you know, add up all together. Yeah. So I don't have that. Most of that comes from. Most of that comes from you, I would say. Uh, I, I, do, I don't really, I don't personally don't really have, I mean, I have some technical insight for sure, but for the most part, I come from a less technical aspect and I just like, how does this make me feel or how to, and I know you have those points too, obviously, because we agree on those most of the time, but I think a lot of times um, I just have questions mm -hmm. that you end up answering in your notes. <laughs> when you start you know like how did they do that shot oh oh and then this shot they did this and that and i'm like oh okay that's how they did that shot okay great um but i i, I really love watching films and tv shows and kind of just being able to to regurgitate you know my my feelings on something and i think that a lot of times you know some people might think that their feelings uh, about either a tv show or a film are a little less important than how it was actually done. And I, I think that that's totally, I disagree with that. I mean, you know, a good example of that is like Dave Grohl once said that his favorite, his favorite song of the uh, 2000s was Gangnam Style. And why not? Because that's an opinion. That's how he felt about that. Mm -hmm. And does that make him like less of a badass? Absolutely not. He's still like one of the biggest rock stars on the planet. Uh, just because he likes Gangnam Style has nothing to do with anything. And, and I think that that's really an important aspect to remind people of like, like just because something isn't popular doesn't mean you can't like it or just because, you know, people make fun of Backstreet Boys. You could, you can still really enjoy that. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's not, it's not a problem, you know? No, I love Only that. Once, right? And I agree. And I think for me, uh, just kind of on that same kind of idea, the things that I really like is not knowing. I don't do a lot of research uh, beforehand. And so whatever we see is what we really want to talk about, not what do they intend? And here's what this really meant, according to the director, like that stuff is cool. And I think it's, you know, part of a conversation that can be really important. But I think what's more important is what does the audience take away as a viewer? What did I see? And how did that make me feel? Why did it? Why do I think they did that? Here, because ultimately, 
art once it's released no longer belongs to the artist it belongs to the public and and that you know uh, sense of deconstructing it and finding the meaning in it that you don't really get to determine what people see um, you only get to determine what you present uh, and the thing you really are trying to do is try to make them see something try to make them feel something um, and ultimately that's a that's a hit or miss game and ideally the better you are at your at your art, the better you are at, you know, hitting your bullseye when it comes to that stuff. But ultimately I just love trying to figure out as a filmmaker, my, my favorite. And I think my best resource has been Netflix and uh, HBO and the movie theater. It's what's already out there. What made the final cut and what can I learn and take away from that? Uh, and for me, the most satisfying moments are whenever we do an episode and then someone like you sends me a clip and I'm like, like we did Dune and we talked about a scene in there in specific. And I was like, this is what I think he's trying to do. And like, here's what the camera work is doing. Here's what I think he's uh, trying to imply. And then you sent me a clip of Denny breaking that scene down. And half of what I was, of what I was saying was in there. And then of course, because he's Denny freaking Villanueva, like there's another half that I completely did not see that is just, you know, incredible and mind bending. And I'm like, this is why he's one of the greats and uh, why I want to study him and, and try to get better uh, at what we're doing. And so, yeah, this is always very satisfying. And I, I, and on some level, yeah, I guess I bring a lot of the analysis, but you do so much more um, because you come in and you provide so many nuggets. Uh, I, I don't keep track. I, maybe I should, but there's so many times whenever either <laughs> no. you'll agree and add or disagree and have your, have your reasoning. Uh, and those are the fun moments to me is the stuff that where you're building. And that's the fun of any conversation is, uh, the back and forth and the dialogue and, uh, the things that we can both take away, uh, is, is really satisfying to me. Yeah, totally. And we just, I just get an hour and a half of, uh, talking to my friend yes you know, ultimately who who by the way has a much better beard game going on <laughs> yours is coming in strong right though yours is coming in strong mine is not mine does not grow out mine grows like down right yours is like this full lush it's like journey that's my i don't know what's going beard on comb i don't know if you have a beard comb but i've been i've been i don't know i don't have i have no i've not purchased anything to help my beard. I have a uh, performance enhancing beard uh, <laughs> techniques. Oh, you're, you're roiding the beard? I'm roiding up my beard. <laughs> oh, God. What are we covering today? What are we doing? Okay. Yeah, let's, let's get on with the show. All right. So this week we are covering uh, the show Squid Game on Netflix. So if you have not seen this, pause this episode and go watch the entire season, season one. It's all streaming on Netflix uh, because we are going to give away a ton of spoilers and talk about the entire thing, the entirety of the uh, of season one. Yeah, we'll talk about a lot um, for sure. I mean, the the thing that I'm most excited about is the iconography of Squid Game. I think this has a lot to do with why it's popular and succeeds where some of these other similar you know films uh, don't do as well. Uh, we'll also talk about. We'll touch on like the Netflix business model, some of the pros and cons, um, especially around this game and uh, this game, this movie, film, TV series in particular, off the rails. Uh, we'll also touch on some of the odds and ends of the story and writing, like the ATM pin significance. Uh, is there a cop capitalism commentary running through here, uh, as well as the value of human life and other such stuff and things and stuff? All right. And now it's my turn to... <laughs> totally butcher every single one of these names here we go 
Uh, don't record this. Um, all right. Synopsis of the show. Hundreds of cash strapped players accept a strange invitation to com- to compete in children's games, a life or death survival game with a 45.6 billion won prize at stake written and directed by Huang Dong Hyuk starring Lee Jung Hae as player 456, Oh Young Soo as player one, the old man, Jung Hoyeon as player 67, the North Korean defector, Park Hae Soo as player 218, the childhood genius, and Anupam Tripathi as Ali. Nailed it. Nailed it. <laughs> Having a good leader is very important. The person is at the front and keeps an eye on how the other team is performing. And the rest of the team focuses on the back of their leader's head and follows their lead for the first 10 seconds. You have to hold your ground. You should lean back, practically lie down. Push your lower abdomen up to the sky as hard as you can and throw your head back to the point where you can almost see the growing of the person behind you. If you do that, the other team won't be able to pull us to their side. Just hold like this for 10 seconds. Then the opposing team will start to get frustrated because they are thinking, why won't they budge? Because they believe that they were much stronger. If you can hold out for that long, you will be able to catch a moment when your opponents falter and the rhythm breaks. Oh my god, that's so hilarious to me. That's the only English yeah. overdubs that I've listened to. But I, unlike some people, I actually watched this mm-hmm. with the original language and subtitles. Todd, why did you choose? I don't even care what you think about the movie, the the show yet. Why did you? beat this show to death by listening to the English overdubs. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't realize that you could watch it in Korean with um, English subtitles mm. until I was at like, I don't know, episode seven or something. And and Scott, our friend who's been on the show before, said, oh, you're watching it in, in Korean, right? I was like, oh, my God. Of course you can do that. I didn't even think about it. But the whole time I was watching, I was like, this is so painful. Oh, the show is so good, but this ADR is the, literally the worst thing I've ever seen in my entire life. And I've seen plenty of ADR, and this is just painfully, oh, just brutal. But the moment I switched it over to Korean, I was like, oh, just, it was just like butter. All of a sudden, uh, it was so wonderful. Oh, that's so funny. So you saw the yeah. final two episodes in proper format. Yes. I assume you didn't have time to go back and rewatch any of the others. Uh, and uh, a little bit. Yeah. Oh, you did. Nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So did this, uh, is this a game you want to play? Like is this, this squid game? Like, uh, <laughs> is that a really fun uh, time for you? I mean, it was, I loved the show. It was very enjoyable, very fun. And, um, I loved that the stakes were high all the time. It felt like everything mattered all the time and how everybody just kind of, you know, there was a lot of, as a lot of Korean film, especially lately hits on like classism and, mm-hmm. and, and all that stuff. I, I, I loved that aspect of it as well, but, but on the other spectrum from like parasite. So, mm-hmm. you know, on the, on the people who don't even have enough money to go into debt. Right. So, 
that are are people who haven't this is this is like the majority of people i feel like where they're not like completely destitute but they have enough money to have you know to be able to borrow money if that makes sense yeah or because to get a loan you need some kind of collateral and that requires exactly some ownership of something thank you thank you and so and so it's like maybe a little bit more of like the the societal norm Mm. you know uh, and and it it's not just it's not just Korean, right? I mean, this is debt is a huge problem all across the world, especially here in the states, which is one of the reasons why I think like one of the main reasons why it, like you know might have might have taken off. But I I really enjoyed it. I never knew what was coming next. I, I you know each of the games was unique and fun. That first game, you know, the first game was really great because it really set the stakes. I mean. Yeah. It, because it's a game that we play here in the states too because not all of these games did we play here but they started off with one that the world pretty much the world knows which was red light green light and you know when the the first person was shot you're like oh my gosh okay the stakes are pretty high and then they just start mowing people down (laughs) you know that (laughs) that that fail the game uh and then they keep going and they keep going i think at the, the end of that game i thought oh this is real serious because you never know really what you're going to get mm-hmm. you know how you know oh they'll be a little bit forgiving right. or you know whatever but it's it's just brutal it, absolutely brutal so they set the stakes really high at the beginning and i i really enjoyed that and I, th- I felt like they kept it going throughout and each of the games was 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 unique and interesting but i'm really curious as what you thought because there were you know they brought in aspects of uh the u.s in there with the the Right, the VIPs, the, um, the what? The, the VIPs. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, yeah, they're bringing in the VIPs and everything, and and what that might have meant, and which I, you know probably could assume, but that and the um the the brother, uh, mm. yeah, the police throughout, officer, like that yeah. that thread of the brother being the the stowaway um on mm. the island throughout. But one thing that I loved, absolutely loved, was Player Four Fifty Six's journey as a character. I just thought his acting, the range of his acting was so staggering. Um, and not just that, but the directing of his acting. Yeah. I felt like I could see that, you know, in a good way, yeah. in a good way, not in a bad way. You know, at the beginning, we see him and he's this dude who just, he lives at home and he asks his mom for for money to buy his daughter, who he doesn't see anymore, a birthday present. He doesn't really work very much. He's just like this, he steals from her, you know, like he's just this this like drain on society it feels like you know and then to in the end you know being this just complete opposite and you buy the journey you buy Mm -hmm. why he's changing and you buy why he does what he does and and at some points when he does what he does it shocks you and you think i don't know that i would do that you know case in point being at at the end where he we've already done spoilers Mm -hmm. at the end where he could win Right. And then his buddy ends up killing himself like so that he can win. You know, I didn't see that coming, um, but he doesn't go to win. He goes back to his friend to help him. Like I, his journey is just so complete and wonderful that and a lot of the characters are, you know, that that it's just it's it's just a great, great experience. The girl, I forget her name. Yeah. Player 67, um, the North Korean girl. 67. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. She's wonderful, too. And uh I just, I loved, I loved everyone. I wish that I would have 
start watch the entire thing in Korean because it would have changed everything for me too. Mm-hmm. Like I mean, I would have enjoyed it even more, I think. But even watching the ADR version, I was enthralled and I couldn't wait for the next episode. I stayed up late watching it. I, I woke up early. You know, it's like watched it during the day when I should have been working. It was it was just wonderful. But but what did that that's a question that I have for you, which is probably part of your your notes, which is one, did you watch any of the ADR? Two, the biggest question that I want to ask you is about the the Americans and their in- inclusion into this as the VIPs and what you thought of that what you know did it take you out of it that all of a sudden there were some people speaking american or speaking english you know in it yeah, yeah. what do you think so on the first question the clip that we played is the only adr i've i've heard like uh, and it's obviously painful right <laughs> it's so painful especially after the old man finishes um his thing and then this is our chance like it's just so like bad uh yeah that would have killed it for me i i would have quit in regards to the Americans, um, overall, I mean, I, I really enjoyed this. I love this kind of setup. Like, you know, you're playing games for your life. And I loved all the wrinkles that they added. Like, at the after the first game, they voted to stop. And then that's such a cool thing because normally people don't get the option in these in these scenarios, right? It's not like in the Hunger Games, everyone's like, yeah, we want to quit this. It's like, no, no, no. Like, we're, we're here to do a thing. And in every other version I've ever seen that I can think of, of this setup of uh, this Battle Royale scenario, every, no one ever gets a, a, a voice to, to eject. Um, that also doesn't mean that they die, right? And so for them to yeah. go through that first game and say, we're going to take a vote and uh, for them to not only vote, but because that's that's a bit of a loaded gun. We need to see what happens if the, that vote goes through. Um, does it mean that they're playing and they're lying and they're going to do it anyway? Uh, are they just relying on the, the greed of humanity or are they going to like let that go through? And so they they wrote it so that not only do they have the vote, they win it. And they do get to go back to their lives and decide whether or not to come back. Like, that's such a cool thing. And there's so much that they accomplish with that, with letting everybody seeing why they come back. Right. We see all their debts, legal trouble, uh, gang trouble. One, the, the North Korean defector, the girl is trying to get her family out of North Korea and to provide for them. Like, that's a really strong motivation to, to put your life on the line. And I, I love that. Like we got to really explore this other side of uh, a death game or whatever you want to call this. And that's a really unique wrinkle because now instead of just not wanting to see people die, you emotionally understand one, they had the opportunity and they're choosing to be here now, knowing full well what the stakes are at the beginning. You can certainly say they got conned into this, but now there is no excuse. They all chose this. And, and what happens next is, you know, entirely up on them every step of the way, because they can still vote to leave. And so that's a really very interesting uh, wrinkle to not only take that path, but provide a compelling reason uh, for each of these characters that we're going to follow to still be involved. That's a stroke of genius. As far as the, the, the Americans, I hated them. And here's the thing. I don't care that they're Americans. 
I don't care that you want to harpoon America as the fat cats that are pulling all the strings and making other countries jump through hoops. Uh, there's a lot of truth to that. And I am not above like reproach on that front and having that discussion and saying, what is America's role in the misery of the rest of the world? I think that's all stuff. I'm all too happy to have a conversation about my, what I, the reason I don't like them. The reason that I hated them uh, is because they're just ridiculous. They're just over the top. And like, you have this guy, I bet a million dollars on that guy. Number 69 is such a beautiful number. Har, har, har. I'm yeah. like, it's just so hokey. And it's, I don't know if it's uh, bad writing, bad acting, bad directing. It's just, it's so kooky that I think it was, the intention is clearly supposed to be comedic relief. Uh, but all I did was cringe. Like, it's just, it's not funny. It's just not humorous. I don't know who you need to be in order to find this humor. Maybe if you are a South Korean and you're watching this, and if you don't speak English, maybe it's suddenly very funny because these are like cartoonishly ghoulish, you know, Americans. I bet it's really entertaining in that circumstance. As an American watching it, I'm just like, this is just bad acting. Like, this is just terrible. And so from that perspective, I thought it was trash. <laughs> that's that's uh, I don't know another way to, 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 you know, frame that, I guess. Did they like yeah. annoy you or were you just like, oh, that's totally pretty good. OK. <laughs> yeah, it, it was. But because I was watching the ADR version, um, uh, you know, it was like, oh, well, it's kind of still better than the shit i'm watching right. still better than the rest of the dialogue right so it was actually better Touché, Michael Bay. <laughs> it was, you know that made it bad but it's you know it's like polishing a turd right. it's still a turd yeah, you know? so... i i yeah I, I get that oh my god sure. yeah next question for you is did you feel that watching us the first time through i don't know if you already had a heads up or not but i i did not and so i'm just curious did you feel the capitalist satire that was intended uh, or was it a little obscure and it just felt like, oh, this is just motivations and that's just kind of the world we're living in as far as the meta conversation that I think he's trying to have in this? Was that obvious to you or was it a little labored to to derive that stuff? No, it was very obvious. Mm. I, I, I mean, to me, because the reason why they went back well, obviously, some some reason why some went back was because of greed, mm -hmm. right? But I don't consider that the main motivation of most people. I, I thought that the main motivation was to get out of the situation they were in, mm -hmm. which was based on debt, mm -hmm. right? For some people, not necessarily. I think, what was it, player? Uh, 218 had I run up forget. hundreds of millions of debt. He was like the childhood right. neighborhood genius that... I guess, started the business, went to the fancy school and he was the crowning achievement of their neighborhood. Yeah. So, so everybody had different reasons, mm -hmm. but they were, they were all based on, you know, except for, well, no, even for player 67, I feel like everybody needed money for a certain reason. Mm -hmm. Either they were millions in debt because they screwed up in, you know, in investing, mm -hmm. which is very capitalistic, obviously. They were either in or they were in debt to, you know, loan sharks, player 456 or uh, player 67 was trying to get her mother over from from North Korea. And that required money for for passports or whatever. But everything was centered around like like needing money to 
to improve their lives. In that aspect, yeah, you know, they wouldn't, they didn't go back because, oh, this is fun, you know, mm-hmm. except, I don't know, maybe some crazy warped <laughs> people did, you know, like the the main bad guy, whatever mm-hmm. his name was. But for the most part, you know, it was, it was the necessity for this fiat, you know, currency or whatever, like this, this, this is like this paper, right? And, and you're willing to put up your life for this. Mm-hmm. Uh, except for, I think maybe the only person that I, well, besides player one, who, you know, we all know what he was, whatever. but uh, the girl who died in place of player 67, mm-hmm. I think she might've been like the, the lone, the lone character who was, who was not, you know, it was not part of the capitalistic aspect of it right so that might have been calling out the 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 fact that there's always there's always a shining light somewhere hmm. i don't know but it, it did i it was very on the nose for me of of calling out the flaws in that and and how um and i love your quote of the day which i just read um uh, that's that kind of like spells it out a little bit right hmm. it's like it's also a smarts game um, in that regard. And I, I'm not really making a whole lot of sense, but yes, to answer your question to me, it was very clear, but I don't know. What did you think? I struggled with it. I didn't see it. I mean, I think the the best I could really do is just from a very macro massive level. Like you have people who are willing to die for money by jumping through these hoops given by the money holders. Like, I think from that level, I can start to construct a very vague critique of capitalism uh, from this. It, it just doesn't play very strong because in this scenario, you also kind of have to say, is the world being run by the Illuminati? Uh, because these are all faceless uh, human beings. And uh, we generally have a pretty good view on who makes the rules in our society. Uh, if we're talking America specifically, maybe there's something in South Korea that I don't really understand, but I, I couldn't get a, very clear feeling that of where capitalism is really inserted in here. Uh, your comments about the debt make some level of sense for sure. And I think towards the end, they even call out like the government didn't limit like uh, how much you can borrow, like debt limits or anything like that. Mm-hmm. And so maybe there's a cross commentary about the modern version of how government interacts with capitalism, which I would have plenty of commentary myself on, but it, it felt, you know, very thin. If anything, to me, it just came across as he started with this idea of what is capitalism in his view doing to people? And let's go from there on what people would do to get out of that situation. I think that's interesting. I don't know how strongly that case is made here. uh, Because like you said, there's a lot, there's a variety of reasons. I don't think money in it in and of itself is a good sequitur to commentate on capitalism because money predates capitalism. And so I don't see that as being a very valid, like, I don't know, starting point of this. And so I don't know, it felt very obscure to me. I'm totally fine with it. And uh, even if I would disagree, I would, I just didn't really see it there. I was like, I, I have to go and read now what he intended in order to really understand and, uh, and and take away his his capitalist commentary because it just didn't feel very obvious to me. And maybe it's just obvious to him or mm. obvious to other people based on your worldview and where you're starting. If 
if maybe you're starting with a point of you hate capitalism, maybe it's super clear and pristine to you. I don't, I guess, start from that perspective. And so for me, you would just need to build that framework just a little bit more to, to help me get on that, that line. Because there's moments in here that I'm like, okay, I can see... I can see where you can use a sentence and start to, to you know, pull away some uh, modernist capital uh, capitalist commentary. There's that moment where he's, I think is before the Marvels game, they're doing a night watch and he's discussing a, a picket, a strike, um, which is funny because technically he was fired. And I don't think you can go on strike if you've been fired. Uh, but the idea was maybe people who weren't fired are picketing as well. And, you know, over just feeling like a like a lack of control over their livelihoods and the cops come and like break everyone's faces. And I think he sees a guy get killed uh, from that. And that ultimately breaks him, which is a really good like motivation for what he does later on with trying to break out of this game and stop this. He's just tired of seeing people die for whatever reason, for money specifically, um, but in different circumstances for sure. And so there's that comment. And then there's these other little uh, jabs that, that he's throwing that I think are pretty good where, oh, what is it? I, I, I made a note somewhere, but I have like a thousand notes where he says basically, you know, through your luck and hard work, um, you know, you, you made this, mm -hmm. made this work. And that gets said a few times throughout the thing, uh, throughout the, throughout the show, because there's also this moment when, player 218 says that it's after he kills uh, player 67 right he stabs her in the neck and eliminates her um and or maybe it's right before that whenever they just yeah that's what it is they just left the 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 hopscotch game and yeah. he's kind of talking trash about the the guy that he pushed out of the way because uh, they were running out of time and and 456 is telling him, like, what? you didn't have to do that. And he's like, don't feel bad for that guy. He watched everyone else die while he had a, a, a way to beat the system. You know, why aren't you? You should be upset with him, not like crying over him. Uh, and he's like, I got here from my own hard work, you know, and it's and you can hear that kind of commentary as a damnation of people who, uh, you know, would say something regardless. And to him, he's making a comment that. You could say that he's he's uh, you know equating that to capitalism. Someone says they got there through hard work, and uh, when in reality they push someone out of the way and they they're taking lives, um, whether you know symbolically or literally, which I would assume it's usually a little bit more symbolic. But in some ways, you can you can be literal if you extract far enough out from the food chain. Yeah, and so there's some of those comments that I'm like, okay, I can see where he's where he's at with that, but I think. It's still pretty uh, tepid, I think, more than anything. Uh, he, it felt like more of a framework that he wanted to be true to, even if uh, he doesn't go about spelling it out, which is fine. Like, that's it, it's all fair game. I just didn't. I think I watched this whole thing and I was like, I didn't at any point because I watched this as soon as it came out. I didn't see comments about it until much later. And I was like, oh, yeah, I guess you could, you know, make a, a capitalists and mm. at some points i may have had one of those thoughts but it wasn't like this damning beat you over the head you know capitalist satire i've seen other movies that do a much uh, stronger voiced job at doing that than than i think he did here and that's fine like i'm okay either way yeah. like i'm i'm secure enough in my beliefs that you can critique it and me not you know 
get into a fetal position over it. Like, uh, that's, <laughs> that's okay with me. Like challenge yeah. it. That's, that's fine. As long as we can have a civil discourse. Yeah. So I, yeah, I, I would, I, I mean, that's interesting because I, I don't know to, to me, the whole game itself is, is the actual, is the main mm. focus of the capitalistic like focus, focus, right? It's every man for himself till the end, till you have one mm. man standing. It's the, you know, it's the very nihilistic way of looking at capitalism, right? right? Where, you know, you, you have to literally kill everyone and walk over everyone if you want to get to the top, right? That's, it's a brutal view. And I mean, just as a, a sidebar here, that would be the worst free market ever because now it's just you. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> now it's just you, but, but that's, that's, you know, if you're going to critique right in a negative way, yeah. capitalism, mm -hmm. You know, you look at it from the extreme, it's which clawing, is a mon it's yeah. monopolistic, you know, mm. thing where you have one Amazon, you have one McDonald's, you have one Apple and no one else makes computers. No one else makes hamburgers. No one else delivers anything, you know, like it's th that, you know, and That's which fair. doesn't exist. Right, right? right. And it's illegal to <laughs> exist. But but, you know, you look at you, you if you're trying to and I wouldn't call it go so far as to call it propaganda. Mm. But I would say, you know, if you're if you're making an argument against it, you know, that's how you do it. Yeah. You compare it to just people killing everyone. Just I'm going to kill every single other all my competition to get to my goal. Right. And yet you have the one person who then does it, but chooses not to in the end. Mm. Right. So you take that back and you say and you say this is capitalism. I mean, I'm not saying this is what he did. Right, right. I don't know. Yeah. But since we're having a conversation, this is capitalism, you know, every you kill everybody and you just, you know, you, you, you stab everybody at night while they sleep. And then, and then, you know, in the end you have one savior who is going to, you know, who's not going to, to hmm. um, kill everyone. He's going to try to save his friend. Um, that's fair. I think that's the best so, analysis. I, I, I that, I think that is absolutely correct that the, the idea is to present it as, this, yeah, very uh, animalistic, uh, selfish, and um, careless method of getting everything you can. And then on top of that, to say that this is the way it's built. This It's constructed to be exactly this by the powers that be. And this is where I'm like, is the Illuminati? Who who are these faceless? And maybe it's, yeah. it's faceless just as a yeah. means of insert your scenario, insert your government or whatever. Right. And so, right. Yeah. I think, I think that's right. I have a more question, another question for you uh, that I'll save for later. But the, uh, the other thing that was interesting about this show was how successful it became. Right. And this is the Netflix, Netflix effect, because on the one hand, they said that it it brought a value of 650 million. Now they don't tell you, I don't think they tell you exactly what that means. Is that through retention, right? Retaining subscribers because Netflix is a subscriber model. And so is that because they didn't see, they saw new signups as well as higher retention rates because of the show? Uh, or is, is there some kind of, what do you call it? Merchandising stuff that's going on? I don't know. I have no idea how they, and no one does. That's part of their secret sauce. But I, I, I was reading an article Again, this is me breaking my rules of I, I don't understand what's happening here. And I was talking to someone yesterday that said he lost six teeth while making this thing out of stress. Like he stressed himself out of six teeth that he got, you know, replaced false, 
false teeth for, uh, which what really blew my mind. Apparently, he he basically made it on his own. I don't, and this is the thing. I don't know what that really means to make it on your own. Like I see, he wrote mm-hmm. and directed it, but is, did he just not have producers like? helping him schedule stuff. I can't imagine he was putting together call sheets, right? That That's absurd. Right. That didn't happen. Yeah. Um, not with that many people. With, that's too many people. Uh, you know, on this. Yeah. At one point there's 400 people in the <laughs> shot. It's like, no, so you have to have producers. He had somebody, but to him, it felt like he was doing it on his own, uh, which I still understand that even if maybe you have a few people around you, there are times when either other people aren't pulling their weight or you're just not, and a place where you can trust other people to do what you need them to do. And so you take more uh, of it on your, on your own shoulders. I'm certainly guilty of those kinds of things. And so he didn't get any extra pay. Like they brought in an extra, you know, half a billion dollars or it produced a value of a half a billion dollars and he doesn't get a pay bump for that. Right. And I think that's really interesting for one. I, you can look at that a number of ways on the one hand, uh, should Netflix kick them something as a thank you? Maybe. I don't know that that's a great business practice or maybe it's a terrible business practice not to. I mean, that's the kind of thing that when I'm running a business that I would probably do. If someone literally brought me a half a billion dollars worth of value, I can't see myself not uh, doing that. That's just the kind of human being I, I am, I guess. But it also means for him, because we saw a similar thing with Stranger Things, uh, where they renegotiated their contract and got a very handsome amount of money. And so for him, I'm like, okay, maybe he doesn't get a bump, but season two, guess what? That's going to cost you uh, $75 million to me, and then yeah. plus a bigger budget for the show. like Because they produced this on, like I think, $15 million or so um, bucks, uh, and that's... That's that's a small amount compared to what things are doing these days. Uh, and so he in every way he should go to the bank for season two and like really, you know, go ham on them. But their business model is an interesting one because they're making a lot of these. They, they're they cranking all these things out. And uh, to some degree or another, you you are hedging your butts. Like, why not throw him 15 million dollars to make his passion project instead of, you know, 75 and then because now maybe instead of instead of one of those, we can fund five of these. Right. And you can create more opportunity for a lot more people. And if you hit one out of the park, great. You know, here's a much fatter paycheck or whatever. I don't know. I mean, I I don't know if you want to comment. The other interesting thing about Netflix as a model, apart from, you know, traditional media is these episodes are all over the place. Like they don't have a consistent 42 to 43 minute runtime. Like some of these are 60, some of these are 50, 54. Um, one of them's 35 minutes. I, I love that. I think that's really cool that you're not beholden to anything other than go create your art, make it the way you want to make it and send us the bill. Like that's, I think that's really cool. There's a lot of, you know, pros and cons, I guess is, is my ultimate point of the way they're running it. I don't know. You can feel free to weigh in or not. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's a it's a hard thing because we are a content driven world now. It's all about volume mm. and less about. I'm not saying when I say this, it's with a grain of salt. When I say it's less about substance, I don't mean that stuff like Squid Game or you know, uh, the you know the guilty or whatever. 
yeah, like whatever, don't have substance. You know, they do. It's just, there is a difference now. And we've talked about it multiple times on this, on this podcast. There's a difference between, you know, there's a difference between, uh, and I think everybody who watches Netflix understands this difference between like a, a made for streaming show or movie and a, a movie that comes out in theaters. Right. And uh, maybe at the same time, and it's noticeable. Um, and the problem is, is that because of, well, I'm not just going to blame COVID, but let's just partially blame COVID because of COVID, nobody could go to theaters for a long time. And so everybody had to rely on streaming. And so now that theaters are open again, you know, everybody's still used to relying on streaming. And so you have all these great films that are going, they're going, you know, out in theaters, but they're also going directly to streaming. Dune is a good example. And it, it kills me. It absolutely kills me. It's like, you do not lump something, you know, like this massive multi, you know, tens of millions of dollars uh, uh, that took years to make movie in with something like Squid Game. They are not the same. They will never be the same. Netflix could throw a hundred million dollars and it's not about money either. Mm -mm. Netflix could throw a hundred million dollars at the next season of Squid Game. And it, or even if they made a movie about it, it won't be the same. There's a difference. And, and in something like, like, uh, I mean, it's different. I think with a, with, when you have a, a season of something than when you have a, a film, but it just drives me nuts that like, that now you have all these, these things that are going straight to streaming and not, not at least living in the theaters for a while. And the, the reason is, is because they're, they're hedging their bets. They're like basically betting against themselves, but at the same time, you know, they want to make sure that it does well because they put, you know, so much money into it. Well, you're killing your medium at the same time. Yeah. You know, you, you cannot put Dune out in the theater and then also put it streaming the same day on net on, on HBO. That's ridiculous. That's like saying that you don't believe in yourself or in mm. your, in your medium for the next several years that like a movie like that is the thing that's supposed to bring theaters back. It's supposed to be the saving grace for theaters and you shit on it and you put it out at the same time. HBO. What the, sorry, but what the f are people supposed to do? Watch Dune on their tiny little ass screens at home. Come on. You know, it, it's different when you have a, a episodic show, mm -hmm. everybody expects to watch a show, you know, at home, it doesn't matter the size of uh, or, or scope of things. In which case, I think when you're talking about episodic things like Squid Game, I love your idea of let's split it up. Let's let's throw money at at new directors, new writers, new actors. Let's build up a massive uh, Rolodex of new talent. Let's let's do that. And I think that in that regard, Netflix is doing a pretty good job. They are making a lot of stuff. Mm -hmm constantly yeah. i think that apple tv is making a lot of stuff constantly that we have no idea we we don't even know yeah. the dozens of stuff that that's in the works it's all made by you know new people or um uh, up-and-coming actors and, and things and i i'm loving that i think that there's a lot of opportunity there i just think that this the thing that bothers me is that it, there needs to be some kind of separation between stuff that's made for Apple TV, Netflix, HBO, 
and stuff that's made for theater. Because I don't think I, I don't think you need to be a reviewer of anything to know that there's a difference. Yeah, I think that you can just tell. I agree. It's it, anyway, sorry. It's frustrating because yeah, to use that you know specific example, Dune became kind of fodder as a means of HBO building out its subscriber base. Like, hey, this thing that you worked on for you know the last three years that's been a probably a lifetime passion for Denny. We're now going to because of COVID and. Uh, we're just going to more or less use it as an excuse to start to build up and try to win the streaming wars, which, you know, I don't know if there's really going to be a winner. I think there will only be losers, people who can't handle and and balance their books. Right. Um, ultimately, that's what you need to do is find the right balance of great content at the right price. The thing that also worries me about that and worries, I think, most artists is the old model allowed for. A, a better way to price in royalties um, and back end um, so that performance, uh, which is, you know, a, a good free market idea. Like if you perform well, you get paid well is, is going to take a, a hurting because Netflix is going to charge whatever, you know, 20 bucks a month for their service. And that's just never going to change. And just because your film did well, doesn't mean, you know, my $20 that I, I use to watch everything else, you know, suddenly counts more towards, uh, you, I can't, you know, there's no tip jar for me to say, yeah, I'll give you an extra $5, you know, because I like this, this movie so much like that, that, that stuff doesn't exist. And it would be a nightmare for them to go and do this kind of, uh, Disney plus model where you have premium shows, um, because Netflix has built off of, it's all equal, everything new, old, it costs you the same every month. I don't know. I think that's worrying and I wouldn't be surprised if that comes up in some of these union negotiations of uh, another way to think about, you know, royalties and and performance revenues of, of that kind. I don't know the, the right answer, but I think it is very much in line with what you're talking about, especially when it comes to movies, um, is to try to come back to the original model of movie theaters are a thing and let's honor that process. Uh, which I think the thing that frustrates me about Netflix specifically is they rarely release their movies in theaters. And because they don't do that, they don't really do a lot of advertising for most of their movies. You build up so much real estate through those big releases that whenever it comes to Netflix, now it's a big thing, right? Marvel coming to Disney is a big thing um, because that's that's a blockbuster that you and all your friends went to go watch in the theater and now you can stream it at home. Like that has now more value than it does if they'd released it at the same time. And it just cheapens it. It cheapens your, your, your ability to market it later down the road. Uh, because now it's always mm -hmm. kind of felt like this direct to DVD uh, thing instead of this thing that has this larger than life, you know, mental real estate attached to it. Yeah. Anyway, um, I'll, yeah. I'll blast through a few notes. Uh, the iconography I, I, I really liked because I think this is one of the things that made the show really stand out. And it started, it starts with simple stuff. A lot, all of this stuff is very simple. A lot of strong shapes and color schemes, right? Red, teal, yellow, solid, bold colors um, that just make very clean breaks and very clean division of uh, characters and track suits, right? That's as old as it gets. Uh, and it just stands out. It's visually very identifiable. And they build on that with the masks of the, the staff, right? The staff members 
all have some kind of identifier on their mask circles and triangles and squares and then even within that they've they've made tiers so circles are the lowest on the staff uh, and then triangles and then squares and that is clever to me because it seems like they're building that that hierarchy based on the number of points you have in your shape circles have no points it's round that's a big fat zero and then triangles have three points and then squares have four points. And so it's still adding on to this idea of money and points and value uh, being tallied up. Uh, and it's right there. They're wearing it on their face. And that's kind of cool. And uh, iconography wise, like even the coffins, they didn't waste anything, right? They have bows. They're this gift wrapped present to the fire, right? The whatever, the fire of capitalism, if you want it to be uh, that. And they gave their life, right? That's a gift. It's very, they didn't waste anything in, in creating this show, I feel like. Uh, and then, of course, the games themselves are very simple things, right? Childhood games, mostly. Universal mental real estate. Uh, things that a lot of cultures do. And that's one thing that people in the film industry are constantly hunting for which is mental real estate the things that you already know that they can use to that so that whenever they present an idea you already connect with it they've done absolutely nothing this is why the boogeyman you know replays again and again and again it's because the idea of something under your bed uh something out there in the dark that's a universal feeling we all feel that way or Natural disaster movies will be here until the end of time um, because we all, no matter what country you're in, no matter uh, if you're rich or poor uh, in Texas or New York or Florida or Seattle, you all have an understanding of what it means to live through a natural disaster. Um, and it affects everybody equally. Uh, well, maybe not equally, but it affects everybody one way or another, sometimes equally, sometimes not. And those are all things that we we call mental real estate, the things that live rent-free in everybody's head, what it feels like to have parents, right? Uh, and so the more you can kind of put your finger on those things and extrapolate ways to uh, play with them, the better. And in this case, childhood games, right? Red light, green light, like you said at the beginning, that's such a strong start. Everyone played this apparently. Like I didn't, I never would have thought, you know, people in Korea were playing red light, green light. Uh, but we played that as kids and they built on that with this little girl with motion detector eyes. She's a giant and machine guns, right? Like what she sees suddenly. Uh, and we of course get those nice POV shots. It's perfect. And the first person dies and everyone's a little confused. And then the second person dies and then chaos, right? Everyone's getting mowed down. And what I love is after that slaughter, the first person to move is the old man. And he's very excited about it. And it's creepy the first time you watch it. You're like, what in the world? Um, and of course, the second time I watched it, I was like, oh, of course. Like he's in on it. He was he was expecting the payoff uh, that nobody else was. And which is, of course, why he survived and blah, blah, blah. Beautiful. The honeycomb game, like this is one that we didn't play. Um, I have never, now there's ideas within the honeycomb game that we've probably all done with our food, right? Where you kind of chew it in the shapes. Um, and so that still has this kind of universal appeal, but it's still very childlike, right? It's, it's on a playground. And so they're creating a very strong contrast of innocence and death. Candy simple shapes right they they have the umbrella shape and the squares and the circles um there's slides and sandboxes 
and they're contrasting that with um all the violent murder and blood over such simple tiny mistakes right it's like oh you you kind of cut into your triangle a little bit you're now dead like that's such a strong evocative thing it's so wild and so crazy but we're still in this very familiar place and so the the iconography is just very very strong right and i love in that honeycomb honeycomb game that our main character the one that we've been identifying with from the very beginning he gets the hardest shape and that's so that's that's so satisfying there's so much tension there right they're going to make us sweat for it because we have the immediacy of losing right a huge gunshot in your face right the, and the guards are hovering and staring you down mm-hmm. <laughs> and so the yes. the tension is just perfect and then of course he discovers this little lick trick, right? Where uh, you lick the thing and it's so hilarious and horrifying to watch them all licking their, their candy, like an ice cream cone, like little kids on this playground, licking uh, their candy, right? It's just hilarious and horrifying all wrapped up into one. And I love that because it's, it's also just this clever game that they're playing, right? They, they created a clever game with uh, serious consequences and then they figured out these clever hacks to play the game. Things that don't seem obvious. You have one tool, this needle, and you got to poke out your shape. What else can you possibly do with that? Well, there's a lighter. Someone snuck in a lighter for cigarettes that she's now going to use to heat up her thing and, and, and save her some. Oh, and now this other guy's going to lick it. And that's going to dissolve the candy at the thin parts. And it's going to make it easy. And so it's, it's not satisfying to simply see if they succeed, right? You set them up and watch and who fails and who succeeds uh, and who succeeds. It just feels a little arbitrary on that level. Instead, give them a clever idea and see if it works. This creates a lot more tension as well as a stronger sense of accomplishment when it does work. Um, Instead of just saying rules and go, let's see all the wrinkles that come along with playing the game. Uh, And so the writing there is exceedingly clever, I think. Same thing with the, the, the night fight. Right? Now, this isn't technically a game to the players, but it's certainly a game to the audience. Um, and this is a, a very nefarious thing because technically they signed up for six games, but through manipulation, they've created additional games for them to play. And so they, they set it in motion, though. They, they starve them and then watch them act selfishly. Right. This gets back into the whole claw for it capitalist mentality um, that they're presenting and so kill each other to eat right one man gets kicked to death and i love the way they set the stage he gets kicked to death and it doesn't really matter do we believe whether or not he got kicked to death what matters is that whenever he dies we hear the the number go up and the money drop and as the money's dropping you see the ideas flashing across everyone's face and no one says it explicitly out loud. You get hints. I think there might be violence. And if there is, let's gather up and team up and do do what we can. And so there's a selfishness thing that kicks in. Let's benefit from other people's death. They're they're not, you know, players in the game. They're my competition, like you were you were stressing earlier. And so we're all thinking the same thing. People are gonna act selfishly to increase their odds of winning, increase the size of the pot. So we anticipate murder when the lights go out. And when the lights do go out. The, we cut to the control room and the heat detection turns on. Uh, and it's this beautiful little sequence because we're in this wide shot with all these camera angles and this black and white or this black suited leader. He's in the middle of our shot. And 
we see the first movement as a guy is crawling out of bed because we're anticipating. And I love this shot so much because that, that first movement takes place right next to his head. And so the blocking of this scene is crucial. They staged the first movement right next to his head so that our eyes would be drawn to it. We're already drawn to the center of the screen. And so to make sure that we see what he wants us to see, we're going, instead of cutting to a close-up, we're going to stay in this wide shot. And we're going to block it in a way that the movement, the only movement on this screen is happening right there. So we're going to take away all the movement except the heat sensor movement as we're anticipating and looking for it. And this makes it easy to identify what's happening. Uh, it's just a very beautifully constructed shot and way to pull the audience in. Because now, now that he's doing that, now because we're in this wide shot, you kind of have to lean in. You have to stare. And that action, that very activity that you're making the viewer do is pulling them into the story as well. It's, it's creating and heightening your own tension as a viewer. Uh, and that's just... It's just gorgeous. Like that's just a lot of very simple and very incredibly smart stuff uh, as a filmmaker that uh, Wong is doing. And of course, at the end of that sequence, the old man calls for the end of the fight. And it's interesting to me because at the beginning he was excited and now he's begging. He's almost commanding them to stop, right? Because of who he is that we find out. He's the one uh, that's like, this is not what I signed up for. Um, he was not enjoying that. And so he stays up even after that all night to protect his friends. Um, and that's a really interesting you know, thing to think about in hindsight as you're thinking about his perspective on the games and why he's doing it, uh, as well as what it feels like to participate in it. That's, that's pretty cool. And what did you think about him, him, the old guy voting to end the games, to terminate the games? Because it came down to his vote. He was player one. That's right. Um, and they went in reverse for assume, presumably that reason. Um, I thought that was really cool. I felt like he wanted to make sure that the only people that were left uh, were going to be people who wanted to be there. He didn't maybe on his own conscience have anything else. Not that you can really think that he it's it's a weird thing because at the same time you can ask, does he have a conscience to be doing this kind of stuff? You wouldn't assume so, but there's clearly something there because he did vote to leave, even though he 100% intended to be there himself. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. What did you? I, yeah. I, you're, you're spot on. Uh, he, he only wanted people there that wanted to be there after knowing what it was. Right. You know, but he was willing to sacrifice half of the people, <laughs> yeah. you know, to get there. Uh, but then that, that also for us as a viewer, really, especially after knowing, you know, who he is really paints the picture of, you know, like, okay, everybody who chose to die after that or chose to go back after that was willing to die for this, which, again, is that nihilistic view of capitalism, if you want to call it that, mm -hmm. if you want to go down that road, mm -hmm. it's very dark version of it, which is, which, again, I say we don't agree with that that is necessarily true. So. Right. Yeah, totally. Um, the next game, Tug of War. Once again, it's a very easy, simple idea. It's relatable, it's universal, and it has very strong visual elements. Like it's every every time we step into one of these things, it's just very easy on the eyes and it's easy to connect with. Um, and it's easy to remember in hindsight, like, oh man, there's this thing and everything about it's universal. They built on it though. They did such a good job because 
the weaker team certainly means death, right? Like, how can the weaker team possibly win tug of war? And I love that they set the stage for that by having, you know, an older guy, more women versus the the team that they're playing against. And so you're just like, I don't know how they're going to get out of this. And of course, there feels like there's no way out. It takes clever writing to find strategy and tactics on such a simple game. And of course, the old man provides a tactic and the strategy almost works, right? Uh, but the other team at the end of the day is still stronger. And so they come up with the new strategy, right? Take three steps forward, one, two, three. And then of course they cut. It's a great cliffhanger to bridge episodes and make you... I can't stop there i gotta know what yeah, happens next yeah. um and of course ultimately it works but there's this great moment whenever it's working it's a sobering moment when 456 who is purposely at the front of the line he's their strong face and he's the one that has to face down the other team and there's this moment where we we go into the slow motion and we watch his face as he's watching the faces of the men he's about to kill and it's yeah. brutal. And you can feel right then, you know, the 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 fear and the anguish over this game really start to, to kick in. It's at that moment when he has to look at someone else's life that he's literally like pulling them into their death. Um, but to him, it's also kill or be killed. And there's no going back. And I also love that the guillotine, whenever he does pull them and they're all dangling, I love that the guillotine doesn't immediately drop after they're just dangling. Instead, we see our team sliding forward towards the edge and it's just, are they going to die anyway? Like, is this, mm-hmm. is this going to, you know, are they still not strong enough? What are the rules here? Like you suddenly start to wonder like, how long do they have to hold on for how long? What's going to happen? It's a great dramatic moment to squeeze just a little more out of the scenario. Uh, that's great directing because that's the kind of thing that you might, you might over, underthink you might underthink that moment and say oh they're off drop it they're dead satisfying no let's just an extra five seconds let's wait and yeah. see them yeah. start to struggle with that weight and see if uh ultimately it costs them something because they're they're chained to the rope like they can't escape the rope it's not like they can just let go yeah. and they won uh so that's a beautifully constructed uh game and all the thoughts behind it. I never would have thought of the whole lean back strategy and it totally makes sense. I completely buy that as a tactic and the whole, and, and just stay still. Like don't try to, don't try to pull back necessarily, but stay still. And yeah, it's, it was, it was wonderful. It it is because yeah, now you can use not just the, your own, your body weight, but both of your legs, because whenever you're staggered, uh, both feet, one foot is carrying less weight. Um, and it's almost yeah. waiting to get into a point of leverage before it can actually uh, put in the work properly. Yeah. Yeah. Genius. Marbles. We we go from there into marbles and they set the stage on that one pretty fun because before we even get in there, it's, you know, we're, we're dealing with a common playground thing, right? The last one picked for a team because we all kind of know that anxiety of waiting to be picked. It's a, it's a universal thing where, am I going to go last? And is, is my friend going to pick me is, Oh, this person doesn't like me. Uh, and are they going to pick me at all? And so it's this great thing. And then they set this expectation that what happens if you don't get picked? Well, they'll eliminate the player. Of course. Like, what do you think happens? Um, have you been watching? (laughs) Like this is not a forgiving neighborhood. And so we watch as finally he decides player 50, 456 chooses the old man. 
which I wonder if they did not anticipate. They thought this is going to get the old man onto the next game, you know, kind of uh, an easy win for him. Instead, we watch him get picked and we watch the, the crazy lady have her anxiety ramp up and we see her panic and desperation. And so we're expecting her to die. All signs are pointing to her death. And so it's a really nice reveal um, on the next episode when we see that she actually finds out uh, we find out that she got a pass and that's, mm-hmm. that's pretty satisfying and uh, creates more tension for the upcoming game. And then of course the torturous nature of the games really begins to, to crystallize during marbles because it's not just here's a game, do your best to win. The games are now being constructed themselves to manipulate the players, right? And the previous game get on a team tug of war now we think we're we're on a team together and that's a good thing partner up with who you like and so then for marbles you select a partner for your team with the idea of unity except now they reveal you're playing against them to kill them so now you've selected the one person you're closest to in this nightmare and you're gonna have to see them die or die yourself it's kill or be killed and so now you're lying and cheating against against your friends to win. Like that's so emotionally manipulative. Uh, And so of course, 456 uses the old man's sickness against them, right? Uh, And of course, we don't see the old man die, but I like how they set that up too, because we also don't see Ali die. And so to us, they're just not showing us the pain of losing people that we like. And Mm -hmm. instead, uh, there was something in me going off about the old man's death, but I was like, "Uh, yeah, I mean, I didn't see him die, but... I, why would he live? And so they got me. I'll, I'll freely admit they completely got me. I couldn't figure it out. And I was just like, I don't, I don't see how he would have died, I guess, or lived, even though we, they're breaking a rule. I think, I don't know. I'll just go with it. <laughs> like, yeah. I, yeah. Cause we didn't, you're right that we didn't see 67 die. And then we heard a gunshot when the old man died, when he walked, when uh 456 walked away, Yeah, we still heard a gunshot. You're right. We didn't see it. Didn't see it. And in this in this show, if you don't see it, it didn't happen. Yeah, because they show everything. They show <laughs> almost everything, right? It, almost. They yeah. they they pick their moments so perfectly. We're just not going to show Ali. Ali, we we'll we'll save that. Uh-huh. One. Yeah, and instead yeah. we'll show you uh, the girl dying for sixty seven. We'll show her get splattered, even though it's out of focus. And so it feels like yeah. they're they're letting off the gas just a little bit. Uh, because it's mm-hmm. so emotionally painful. All those moments just drag you down. <laughs> yeah. But I love it because these games are beginning to de- dehumanize the players themselves. And these are now the unwritten rules of the game. The things that they're not telling you is all the all the side game, all the mental games that they're playing. And of course, we go from that game, uh, Marbles, to Hopscotch. And you can call this a number of games. Either Hopscotch, The Floor is Lava... Don't step on a crack uh, or you break your mother's back, right? There's all these little childhood types of games kind of built into this one game. And once again, it doesn't seem maybe even more so on this game uh, than, than all the others. There's no skill. It looks like it's just pure luck. However, evil can work. You can do bad things. And, and now they're starting to force people to mess with everyone around them, right? Force people to go for you, to pave the way for you. Um, And it becomes a game of, you now need to talk the person in front of you into going um, and preferably doing well. But again, what's most important is that the clock doesn't run out or else everyone dies. 
And so it began, it begins a whole other survival is based on what you're willing to do. It's not based on your, your technique. It's based on your savagery, evil or not. And usually evil will, will do better things for you than, than good things. And of course, for me, rewatching this the second time, I didn't have a lot of tension up until this moment. Suddenly, this still carried a lot of really good tension for me, despite knowing the outcome. I don't know if it was the sense of height, uh, the sense of falling, yeah, or not remembering who dies when. I don't know. Uh, but it was just still a beautiful sequence. And then from there, we we have the unofficial game of the knife game, right? Um, this is where he says his, his moment, uh, his line, I'm not alive because of him. I'm alive because I worked my ass off. Like, uh, bro, that's, that's one way to look at it. And they set it up so messed up, right? They had this nice dinner and tuxedos. They even tell him, guys, don't worry. This is, this is just for you. There's nothing to be uh, concerned about. And then of course they take away the dinner and they leave the knife. And now it's like, here we go again. Uh, it's secretly another game because everything comes at a cost. And the, the saying goes, there is no such thing as a free lunch. And so this, I think, is playing on that concept. Um, everything comes at a cost. There are no free victories. Um, and if, at the end of the day, player 218 kills uh, 67, the, the Korean defector, uh, North Korean defector. Last game is the Squid Game. And here... It's just a constant ramp up of violence between players. Like one thing after another, they're slowly building the violence between the players themselves. And in this case, there's no limit on violence. In fact, in lieu of playing the actual game, you can just straight up try to kill each other. <laughs> like that's that's what he says effectively at the uh, during the rules, the terrible uh, exposition that they're in necessary. Um, but the Americans just drive me crazy. So it's terrible to me. They're delivering all the exposition of the, how the game is played and why this happens and that happens. And of course, eventually it just devolves into a knife fight, right? And they're just fighting in the rain and tuxedos. Uh, and I love this sequence. It's messy. The camera work is messy. It's very emotional imperfect. And even when the, the rain starts, uh, I love that this little sequence just as a filmmaking kind of note, because he says his line, I am, I'm the secret inspector. That's what we used to call it. And then we cut to a close up of rain dropping onto a shoe. And then we cut around the scene to see rain falling. And I love this because you have one line, the secret inspector. And technically what happens there is you don't cut away. You say the secret inspector and then rain starts falling. Now, if you want to reset that to shoot it, you got a really big problem on your hands, right? Like uh, now you have to dry your character off. You have to change the lighting, like all these headaches. But what you can do now is get that line, the secret inspector, get your coverage. Oh, we're going to get it from this angle. We're going to get it from this angle, this angle, this angle. We're going to get it wide and we're going to cut in. And now all you need to do is, okay, we're now ready for the rain sequence. We're going to move to a shot of his foot and we're going to get rain falling there. And then we're going to cut to him, a close up. Uh, the rain's going to fall on his face. We're going to cut to player 218, a wide of the whole set. And then we're going to get, you know, the rain hitting the wind, uh, the windshield of the audience. Now you've just through one close up, given yourself leeway to, to create a whole new sequence that's setting up here without having to shoot yourself in the foot, you know, no pun intended here to get the, get it right and reset and, you know, be a big pain in the ass on, on filming the sequence. 
Um, that's a tricky thing to find simple ways to break up your, your shot list in ways that don't destroy making your day. Because at the end of the day, it's a business. You got to run on time and you got to find clever ways to make sure uh, all this happens and emotionally fits the beats that you try to hit. My God. <laughs> yeah. It's all in the details. Yeah. In the, in the, I guess the hopscotch one, uh-huh. why didn't they try to like stand on the center railing? Is that like illegal? I don't know. Yeah. I think because no one even tests that idea and gets shot. I, I wondered that too. I'm like, you could have just walked down the rails. Um, and maybe they're just afraid of breaking the rule and they don't want to get shot for it. Yeah. But I still would have liked to have seen you have a ton of players like sacrifice yeah, one of just, them to demonstrate what happens when you do that. Yeah. Yeah. And well, and maybe, maybe at the end, because yeah, I don't, yeah. I don't, I don't fully know, but that was, that was one thing that stood out. I also, on that one, cause yeah, that one is like super stressful, super stressful. I also wondered why, why not grab your shoe and like launch it at one of those things and see if it breaks. <laughs> like they said, you have to take your shoes like off. Not that you can't take your shoes with you, like with you. you know? Right. Right. Exactly. Good point. And this whole, all these games are all about being literal to the rule, uh-huh. not the spirit of the rule. None of this is about the spirit of the rule. Yeah. It's all like finding the way around the rules. And so that yeah. feels, that's really smart. You know, that's really smart. But all, all that to be said, we would immediately die. Yes. I'm not but, making it through that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yes, that's very smart. <laughs> um, anyway. Yeah. The other thing that's nice about the, the squid game is we end that final game at the start of the final episode. We're 15 minutes in and that game is over. And that leaves room for wrapping up the season, setting up the next season, looking at the fallout, fallout from playing the games, all those things. That's smart. That's the way you want to do it. I'm glad they did it that way. The other way is, of course, to leave you on a cliffhanger and come back for next season. Uh, but again, the nice thing about a lot of these Netflix-style business models is you you play it to the bone. Like, give us everything. And if it's good, we'll come back for another season of it. Um, whereas in network mm-hmm. television, the traditional way would be we're not going to give you the satisfying ending. We're going to make you wait until next season to find out. And that is not fun. <laughs> yeah. Um, I know. Story writing, odds and ends. Uh, the pin number I thought was interesting. Because uh, at the end of the show, right, his pin number is his player number, 0456. That's an obvious thing. Like, what other, what other number, four-digit number would he know to use? Um, so, of course, that makes it obvious. But I think they added meaning to it by using the the first episode to set up another pin number, which is at the start of the show, he has access to his money through, or not to his money, to his mom's money, through his daughter's birthday, right? That's the pin to his mom's ATM card. And so if you combine that with his player number, the the end kind of paints a, a story, an arc, just through the pin number, right? It's not his daughter's birthday, the money, Instead, represents death, not love, not joy, not something that he's proud of. Um, instead, the the pin number represents something that he's deeply ashamed of, um, and and you know wounded by. Uh, and I think that's just a very subtle, simple kind of before and after picture that they're painting about this man's life. Uh, that's really clever and just told through a pin. I, th- I like that. the The game's re- reason for being right. Player one was rich through lending money to others. Uh, and he asked this question, what's common between being too rich and being too poor? Uh, living's not fun, right? No matter what you buy or eat, it's 
boring in the end and there's no joy in life. And I just wanted to play the game. And for you, to me, you're just a horse. You're a horse on a racetrack. And that's a cool analogy because at the beginning of the show, 456 went to a racetrack. Did he feel bad for betting on those horses at the start of the show? Probably not. Not to our knowledge, right? He's celebrating like a mofo right, over his victory. That, of course, he gets taken away from him. Uh, that's a whole other thing. But yeah. And so the other interesting thing, uh, one other small, tiny thing. I think they reversed the numbers um, on the player card, the business card that they're handed. At the beginning, I want to say it was 010034. And at the end... It's 034010. So they reverse the numbers from the beginning. And so it just made me ask questions. I don't think I have the answer, but things are now reversed, right? Maybe the world is upside down now to him and his perspective, or maybe now he's the hunter and the game runners are his contestants. Maybe the shoe's on the other foot, um, that kind of thing. I don't know. I think there's some some ideas you can pull out of that. Uh, it doesn't seem like he left a lot to chance i feel like this writer was doing a lot of things uh very detailed and that that doesn't seem like a, an accident on that same idea it looks like all the players at the beginning chose the blue flip card in the slap game um whenever they're in the, the train station playing the game right it mm -hmm. looks like everyone's playing blue. Someone put that in my head uh, and I was like, and so on my second time through, I was looking for that. And they're, they go through a, a bunch of sequences whenever they're introducing all the players and they're seeing how they got in, sucked into this thing. And they're all playing that card slapping game. And some of them flash by a little too quickly, but it looks like all the players are playing the blue card. And so maybe if you play the red card, you become a staff member. Uh, which is nice to see the perspective of the staff through the the detective or whatever. Um, yeah, I don't know. Side note, 100 million won for each player. The human life, uh, according to what do you call them? Actuaries, I believe, is worth about 10 million USD. And there's a I'll put a link in the show notes that shows you how I think they, they talk about how they derive that that estimate. But yeah, you you have a, a general dollar amount assigned to you when people are figuring out insurance needs and stuff like that. In fact, I think there's a whole movie uh, on that on Netflix about how they tried to arrive. And I've heard interviews with this guy, this, uh, this attorney who's trying to figure out how to assess what the lives are worth for each person who died in nine 11. And that becomes a whole mm -hmm. you know undertaking of how do we arrive at this number? And that's an interesting movie and it's an interesting story anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's that's a crazy concept because, I mean, how can you how can you price potential, but at the same because it's you know almost arbitrary and or subjective in every facet, but at the same time when you have to pay out based on something, you need to create numbers. Yeah. So that's uh, that's I haven't watched that, but I want to. It's good. I I like it. I mean, Stanley Tucci is okay. always worth watching. So oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so another small note, uh, voting to end the game. There's this shot that they, that they do this kind of shot reverse shot. Uh, the next woman after 456 votes to end the game, right? The next woman up, uh, she walks up and she sits at the ballot box to the side. And we just kind of wait and we hover the audience, the viewer, the camera, we hover over her shoulder for several beats. And then she turns around and looks up at us. And then we do this reverse POV, of her view of the big piggy bank 
filled with cash in the sky. And I love that because then we do another reverse shot as she turns back around and votes, I want to keep playing. And I love that camera angle because it's almost a POV from the piggy bank's perspective. And it's like the money is watching her, tempting her. And it's just a very simple camera cinematography trick to make you feel what she's feeling and, and to, to get an idea of why she's choosing what she's choosing. Yeah. Smart, simple. Um, my last note is getting released in episode one. I, I kind of already touched on this. Um, they, right. They get released. And for one, when we get dumped out with 67 and 456, uh, they released on the road and they light that street up with strong primary green, uh, colors like lighting the forest on the sides, like, Super goes back again to the iconography of strong colors, strong shapes, strong symbols, very easy on the eyes to to identify all that stuff. The other thing that I liked was whenever they go back and they're waiting to get picked up, most people at the pickup are wearing shades of blue or gray, but the old man is wearing a green jacket over a blue shirt and uh, song, our, our main character 456 is wearing a blue hoodie over a green shirt. And so I feel like maybe it's just this very subtle idea that player one, the old man, is kind of the secret inspector in a way. Like he's he's wearing the blue like everyone else, but he's not really like everyone else. He he has money, whereas player 456 is destined to win. So even though he has the blue hoodie on, uh, he still has this green, you know, shirt that would represent money or victory or, you know, uh, the capitalist uh, win, hmm. so to speak. Yeah. Cool. I don't know. So that's all I got. <laughs> no, that's great. That those are I mean, I didn't I didn't pick up on most of those. So thank thank you for that. My gosh. That's awesome. Uh, what was your favorite moment? Ooh. Do you have a favorite moment? I man, you know what I think I liked the most was that's hard because my favorite character in here was probably 67. I loved how kind of cold and distant she was from everybody. Mm. But I think my favorite moment was between Ali and player 218. Watching him get fooled by, by 218 um, was really heartbreaking. Like that broke me up far more, at least as much as the old man getting getting fooled in the Marvel game. And so watching player 218 kind of slowly devolve into this flaming garbage you know pile uh was was really heartbreaking especially because of how much i liked ali like he got screwed over at work right they wouldn't pay him and ultimately that's why he came back to this game and he's just trying to do right for his family and um and then you have how much he loves this guy it's very much the the puppy who loves his uh his his owner um and he's just there for him i'll do whatever you say uh, and he just happens to be winning like he's winning this game and this guy just can't handle it and he abuses his trust and that to me is so heartbreaking is when seeing someone who loves someone else so much and then have that trust abused that's brutal for me yeah mm-hmm. i don't know what about you that's a good one that's good i really loved the i keep going back to the hopscotch game uh, for whatever yeah. reason it's just i think it's my favorite there's a moment where because we know that uh 456 is last Mm. he gets the 16 jersey and there's a moment finally he goes it's his turn and he forgets 
after everyone is gone, he's looking so far ahead that he forgets that which one, right or left, on the first square. And so he look, he's like standing there and he's so scared. And he asks... 67. What's the yeah. 67, thank you. He asks 67, which one? And she says, she, left one or whatever. She says, it's the left one. Get your shit together <laughs> or something. Yeah, that's right. Get it together, man. I, and I think, yeah, and I think it's... I don't know. For some reason, I just loved it so much because no matter, even the people who win mm. still need help. That's good. And the sometimes the easiest of things because they're looking so far ahead that they forget what's right in front of them and they need to be reminded, you got to do this before you do that. You know, you got to, you, you know, like, and I <laughs> you forgot. Gotta step on the first one before. Because I was you, like, yeah, which one is it? I, I already forgot too. Yeah. <laughs> I exactly that's the other thing like I forgot too I was like dude I don't even know which one I I forget so anyway no that's a it's um, such a yeah. good point though because that's a it's a great writing decision to not have the first guy immediately die instead he gets one right and you're gonna save that for just an extra brief moment of tension at the end of that sequence that's genius yeah yeah. yeah anyway i just loved that game question <laughs> i don't know why. last my last question for you is what games do you think we're going to see in season two? Oh man uh probably i if i have to guess that's a very very good question <laughs> i have no idea but if i had to guess just because if they really are focusing on that you know trying to be focused on that capitalistic thing mm -hmm. and and, you know, play with the whole American thing, probably maybe more American games mm. um, or games that they know that Americans, especially because it's such a success here as well. I, I don't think that they're going to I don't think that they would like go Western just to to be more successful. Um, and that wouldn't be I don't think that's why they would do that. But I think maybe to play on that a little bit more. I don't know. I don't care. Yeah, I really don't care It because it, I didn't know. You know, I didn't I didn't know what Squid Game was. Right. But, uh, and a couple of these games that didn't really, you know, like the, the honeycomb one was very much probably Korean and, and not American. That was totally fine. And that was stressful as hell. Yeah, so I am to, I'm completely okay with whatever they go with. That's so good. But that's a good question. Yeah. I, I mean, I made a list of all the ones that are possible to me, uh, tag. I don't know how you pervert that um oh my god but tag is a, a yes same thing like hide and seek um dodgeball Ooh, hide and seek. didn't think of dodgeball i think an obstacle mm. course is pretty like basic uh kids mm. like running around things and it's super easy to start setting up traps uh, and it can be a similar thing yeah. with first person last person and so obstacle course or some kind of maze like a hedge maze uh would be Ooh, a really yeah. fun one I don't know how you do this one, but I spy. I wonder what they could do with an I spy uh, oh, thing. Bro. Yes, that would be fun. Th those are those are great. But you know, there, we have this added aspect of four fifty six now. You know, like going after them, playing again, yeah, or like going after the whole Squid Game after all of these people. So I don't know. Is he going to go back to it and play it again, or is he going to try to destroy them? Like the brother of the main mm. head guy, you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know, but that's just another wrinkle. I think, uh, he's pretty determined. Simon says would be an easy one, right? That's maybe even your, oh, your opener. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's just, it's very much like, like green, red light, green light. Yeah. 
That's an easy one. You know, uh, Doug Doug Goose yeah. would be particularly brutal. And I thought this one is kind of like hilarious and maybe, but seems maybe too brutal. Uh, finger painting, except you have to use one of your fingers <laughs> for the blood source. Oh my god! <laughs> wow. <laughs> Oh man, yeah, they should hire you to write this thing. That's awesome. And then my last one yeah. was uh, thumbs up, seven up. Oh yeah, heads up, seven up. Heads up, seven up. Thank you. Um, yeah, and yeah. yeah, and so that becomes a, a very easy game of if if the person you know picks you, then you die, and if you pick wrong, then you die. Um, yeah, that becomes a that becomes an emotional game of who do I think wants me to die? You know, who do I or I don't know. Like it becomes a, a very messed up psychological game of trying to figure out, yeah, who would have selected me, you know, and for what reason. Yeah. So I think yeah. I think that's all I got. Anyway, uh, what <laughs> what uh, what are you going to recommend this week? So this week I'm not going to recommend a movie. Uh, there's there's a lot of them there out there that are really good, especially right now. But I'm I'm I got something interesting that. I'm relearning how to do the Rubik's cube because I'm very slow and I'm getting an, an I'm having to start over because the way that you do it is you get the, you get the cross. Mm -hmm. It's the way you've always done it. I learned it, the corners. And so I get corners first. I've always done it that Whoa. way. It's just way easier because I, I don't have to memorize what color goes where mm. it's like I get a corner and I know that's the green side. Right. No matter where I turn it, I need to get another green side, green, you know, so it just is very clear to me and obvious. Well, I'm switching it up. I'm doing the cross first now and I'm doing this whole other like like uh, F2L situation where uh -huh. you get the first two layers, but you do the whole thing with the white on the bottom. You never flip it over. Mm -hmm. And there's a great channel on YouTube called J J Perm. So I'm recommending his channel because he really explains it very well uh, for someone because a lot of times you go to channels and they're like, OK, you just do this algorithm and you're just kind of like, wait a minute, dude, you lost me. Yeah. Um, but he walks you through everything and how to how to go from beginner method to an intermediate method. And he can go very detailed. I mean, he's like a sub 10 guy. He's like, well, you know, will this method get you under a minute. It'll get me under 30 seconds. Nice. Cause I think my method eventually I never was able to get under like 90 seconds. That was kind of my, it's my max. It's not, it's not easy. It is right. There's some, I mean, learning anything general when you're 40 is hard, <laughs> but unlearning something that you've uh, known how to do for years yeah. to learn something completely different. So basically I'm looking at this thing, you know, in a whole, like I've never done it before and it's, really hard because the way that you have to do it there are like 10 different scenarios and you have to see one do that thing and then go to another one see one of the 10 do that thing so it's going to take i i would in another month i'll be i'll be submit it every time i think and then maybe even sub 30 by christmas that's the goal Damn. sub 30 by christmas nicely done but i'm doing i'm i got a brand new cube super fast cube with magnets the magnetized one and it's super like butter you got one uh not with the magnets yeah. i i just have the the speed cube um that yeah it's pretty silky yeah anyway this guy is really great so 
Jperm. Nice. Follow him. Yeah, we'll, we'll check him link out. that in the show notes. Nice. I'm going to recommend, if you like Squid Game, there's a similar show that came out uh, sometime last year. It's called Alice in Borderland. And I really enjoy it. I like it more than Squid Game personally. Not because I don't like Squid Game. I love Squid Game. I'm super excited for season two. But I don't know. There's something a little bit more mysterious. Uh, I like the technological aspects of Alice in Borderland. And that's uh, a little more tech heavy. Um, yeah. So cool. It's also on Netflix. So if you like Squid Game, you should have access to Alice in Borderland. Nice. Yeah. Stay tuned. Next week, we begin a, a little trilogy series. It's called the Before series. And so we're going to start with Before Sunrise. It's Linkletter's film. This was a seminal movie in my life. Um, and so I'm really excited to, to take, take a look and hopefully have something interesting to say about it because I don't know, that movie just captivates me and I kind of get lost. And so, yeah, have you have you seen Before Sunrise? No. Oh, so you might hear why Todd hates it then uh, coming next week. And so uh, stay tuned. What? He signed us up for all three of these. Uh, so he, yeah. He, why, why would I? Okay. All right. Who knows? Man? Right. Who knows? I, okay. I remember the, the second one came out and I was excited about it. And my buddy uh, that I grew up with watched it and he hated it. And he's like, man, there's this movie I went to see and it was just terrible. Like, don't go see this movie. And I was like, what movie? And he was like, uh, before sunset. And I was like, Oh, Oh no. I love that. <laughs> what, 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 why, why am I going to hate it? A bunch of kids die or something? No, like, no. It's just one of these movies <laughs> that you, you either really like what it's about or you don't because yeah. it does not okay. change from the first minute to the last minute. It's kind of one thing and one thing only. Um, cool. And so it's either your cup Got of tea it. or not. Yeah. Okay. So, cool. If, I can't wait. Yeah, me too. If you're enjoying the show, uh, don't forget to subscribe, drop us a review on iTunes, leave us a note. If there's something you want us to talk about um, or a kind of thing you want us to talk about and analyze, um, you can do that at thepestlepodcast.com slash squid game. I think I butchered my, my, my delivery there. It's supposed to be, if you want to leave a note on this episode, it's thepestlepodcast.com slash squid game. Wes, what the heck? Golly, you had one job. One job. <laughs> and uh we'll leave you with a quote of the day from john maynard Keynes: if you owe your bank a hundred pounds you have a problem but if you owe a million it has the problem that is such an interesting way to look at debt yeah. that i honestly don't think about very much because i hate the feeling of being in debt so much my main goal anytime i'm in it is to get out of it yes right mm -hmm. just hate that feeling but there's also good debt Right. I'm not saying a million pounds, owing a million pounds of the bank is good, but maybe if you, uh, if you own, because of it, you own something that's generating income. Mm, you know what I mean? Yeah. There's, there's a lot of aspects to that, but that's an interesting thing of at what point is it not your problem necessarily because you're never going to be able to pay it back. If it's not loan sharks, right. And they're going right. to take your fingers off, <laughs> you know, if it's a bank. Uh, yeah, maybe they shouldn't be lending you so much money. I don't know. It, and for me, it's interesting because Keynes uh, is the kind of the, the father of our modern monetary theory to my everlasting dismay. Uh, and so it was just interesting to have him in particular having that perspective uh, because he, you know, I'm not sure if he was the architect of the Federal Reserve um, or the best exploiter of the Federal Reserve, but... 
he designed, you know, modern monetary theory with quantitative easing and all these kind of Federal Reserve aspects of inflation and um, the, the way to kind of keep the market stable, you know, or at least that's the his goal and try the to theory. Yeah, the theory. Uh, and so I just found it very interesting that he would say something like that just because, you know, he's all about loaning out millions and millions of, you know, monies. <laughs> so, yeah. well, I think he. I, I mean, he's not stupid. He's not a dumb dumb. I all agree yeah. with that 100%. You know? Yeah. 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 <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Brilliant quote. I mean, I I, I absolutely uh, love it. I love it. I think it, it opens a lot of, of questions. Yeah. Oh, man, this is fun. This is fun. Thank you guys so much for joining us and staying with us. I know it's been a long one, but it was a blast. Uh, uh, so make sure to subscribe, review us on iTunes, share us with all your friends, and, and recommend something. We would love to hear what you'd like to hear us cover. Uh, until next week, I'm Todd. I am Wes. Go watch the movies. <laughs> <laughs>